You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome in to To the Moon Tuesday right here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Matt Miguez here. We've got a lot to get to today, starting with all-conference awards in baseball. We'll look at the Southland, the Sun Belt, and the SEC. Plus, we'll talk about the SEC Baseball Tournament, which is already in a rain delay. Are we surprised? No, we're not. Uh, If you remember last year, it was miserable over in, in Hoover. So we'll talk about that tournament. We'll also get you set for Super Regional Action in softball this weekend. And the Denver Nuggets have advanced to the NBA Finals for the first time in their franchise's history by sweeping the Los Angeles Lakers. We'll get to all of that and much more throughout today's show. Once again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. Bringing my producer and co-host now, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Tuesday. You hanging in there, buddy? I, I know you're feeling a little under the weather. Yeah, I'm chilling. How are uh, you? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm chilling. I'm here. I'm 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 talking. I'm I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, obviously, hope you get to feeling better. Look, you know, let's start with LSU being represented on a couple of major awards lists. Let's start with the Golden Spikes Award. Twenty-five players get named semifinalists for the Golden Spikes Award. Goes to the best player in college baseball. Three Tigers are on the list. Dylan Cruz, who was named SEC Player of the Year yesterday for the second consecutive year. Tommy White, who leads the nation in RBIs. And then Paul Skeens, the SEC Pitcher of the Year. This we, we, we talk all the time about how just dominant this roster is. And this goes to prove it. One of the most prestigious awards in college baseball, if not the most prestigious. And your roster takes up an eighth of it. I mean, that's impressive. Um, Most teams are lucky to get one guy on the list, much less three. Um, So the award will be presented at the College World Series in Omaha on June 25th. Some other players of note on the list. Jack Coglione from Florida, the left-handed pitcher, first base, can-do-it-all guy. Uh, Tanner Hall from Southern Miss in the Sun Belt. Ethan Perry, or Ethan Petrie, I'm sorry, from South Carolina. Brock Vandenberg from Michigan State. Jacob Wilson from Grand Canyon. And Wyatt Langford, the star outfielder from the University of Florida. Just a few names on the list of 25. Also, we talked about Dylan Cruz being named SEC Player of the Year. In back-to-back seasons, he's not the first player to win it twice. 
He's the third player in SEC history to win it twice. Um, or excuse me, the second player to win it on two occasions. Matt Laporta won it in 05 and 07 at Florida. But Cruz is the only player in SEC history to receive it in back-to-back seasons. Now, there have been some arguments on Twitter or, or some debates on Twitter about how it should have gone to Coglione from Florida. And, and I don't necessarily disagree because Cag's numbers were off the charts. I mean, most home runs in the country, he's got 28 of them, 76 RBIs. He's 6-2 and two as a pitcher. He's got a 97% fielding percentage as an outfielder. I mean, the, the, the guy really can do it all. He's college baseball's version of Shohei Otani. But we're talking about Dylan Cruz here. I mean, Dylan Cruz is your all-around, can-do-everything-and-can-do-everything-well baseball player. To, to be honest with you, I think it might hurt Jacques Caglione that he does multiple positions. If he focused on just being a first baseman slash outfielder and just an absolute slugging machine, then yeah, I mean he probably would have won it. But sometimes when you spend your time doing both, it hurts you more than it helps you. So I think that played a part in it. Uh, I mean, look, Dylan Cruz, uh, again, he's a five-tool player. He's a great base runner. He's great at the plate. He has... 50-something walks on on the season. He's only struck out 31 times. He's scored 76 runs on the season. I mean, it's just the numbers that he has put up this year are are uncanny. He's been walked 56 times, has 79 runs. He's hitting 423 on the season, which leads the SEC in terms of batting average. The numbers are there, and he's on a top-five team in the country, which, I mean, of course, you could argue that for Florida as well as they're currently number two. I think it's a toss-up. I think it honestly could have gone either way. But Paul Skeen's winning pitcher of the year was an absolute no-brainer. I mean, Paul Skeen's has just been absolutely electric on the mound. He leads the SEC in wins, strikeouts, ERA, innings pitched, and opponents batting average, and he is currently second all-time on LSU's single-season strikeout list, trailing Ben McDonald. Skeens has allowed two or fewer runs in 11 of his 14 starts, and he's leading the nation in strikeouts, strikeouts per nine innings, whip, strikeout-to-walk ratio, and he's number three nationally in hits allowed per nine innings. LSU getting set for the SEC tournament over in Hoover. They play at 9.30 tomorrow morning against South Carolina. Pre-game at 9 a.m., and you can catch it right here on the game. Which is crazy to think about because there's been early times already where we where you even saw with the Cajuns at like 10, 10.30, mm-hmm. right at the Teague. It's like 9.30. Nine, you know what time wake-up call is going to be to get to the field? Seven. Oh, I bet you they wake up at six. Six. I bet you they get up at six to have breakfast. That's brutal. That is brutal. 
Uh, they, but, they could listen to RP3 and Company in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> they could. Absolutely. Uh, pre-game, once again, is at 9, and you can catch it right here on the game. Flipping over to the Cajuns now, they put two players on the All-Sun Belt second team in Julian Brock and Kyle DeBarge. For DeBarge, it is his first all-conference selection. And when you think about it, it's it's really impressive what, what DeBarge was able to do this year. He's the team leader in batting average. He's third on the team in slugging percentage. He's second in on-base percentage. And he's fifth on the team in RBIs. And James, he missed 13 games with a hand injury. And then if you look at his fielding numbers, keep in mind, Louisiana is the best fielding team in the Sun Belt. In 22 conference games that he appeared in, Kyle DeBarge only committed one error. And then Julian Brock, I mean, career highs in batting average, home runs, RBIs. He only missed two games on the season. And he is atop the conference in average slugging percentage, RBIs, doubles, and sacrifice flies. So both have been essential players for Matt Deggs as they will prepare as well for the Sun Belt Conference Tournament. They're the fourth seed in that tournament. They will play Texas State, who is the fifth seed tomorrow night at 7.30 at Riverwalk Stadium in Montgomery. And then lastly, if we go over to the Southland, look at McNeese. No surprise that Grant Rogers was named the Southland Conference Pitcher of the Year for the second consecutive season and was named to the All-Southland first team. Brad Burkle was named to the second team while Rodgers and Cooper Hext earned a spot on the all-defensive team. Grant Rodgers is 11-1 on the season with a flat 2 ERA, which both lead the league. And he also leads the conference in a 4.61 strikeout-to-walk ratio and 1.71 walks per nine innings. And he was the first pitcher in McNeese history to win 10 games without a loss. 10 games without recording a loss on your record. And he tied a single-season record with 11 victories, which is the third most in conference history. Award season is here, and and that really means that now it's time to flip the switch and and get deep into postseason baseball. Because, look, McNeese is going to play tonight in a single-elimination game against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And if they lose, single elimination. So you lose, you're done. And their resume just isn't strong enough for a regional. So if you lose tonight against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, your season is over. Now, if you can fight your way through the weekend, maybe get to the conference championship game against Nichols, you know, all bets are off at that point. Uh, I mean, you, you, you could easily win the conference tournament in your own ballpark and, and move on to a regional, likely headed to Baton Rouge. Um, and then for the Cajuns, much of the same scenario. I've seen a lot of projections that have them three or four spots below the cutoff line for an at-large bid. Um, so, you know, they're they're on the outside looking in right now. You can change that by making a run in the tournament. Uh, but really, the best way to do it would be to win the tournament. 
And there's and there's certainly a path for the Cajuns to do so uh, in, in the Sun Belt. You're going to play Texas State tomorrow night, a team that you swept just a few weeks ago. And then from that point, you would likely pair up with one of one of the top teams in the conference, whether it be Coastal or Southern Miss. And look, you could argue that the Cajuns should have won either one of those series or both. So in a situation like this tournament where you only have to win one game against said team, you never know what's going to happen. And last year the Cajuns weren't expected to to find a whole lot of success in the Sun Belt in the, in the Sun Belt tournament and they went to Montgomery and they played the three top teams in the conference and they beat them all. And then you went to the regionals and you fought like hell in the regional. So anything can happen in late May in college baseball. You just never know. So definitely going to be a fun week of tournament baseball for all three conferences. We'll keep you updated throughout the week on how those play out. Today's guest lineup includes Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball. We'll recap the Baton Rouge Regional and talk about the Washington Super Regional between the Huskies and Louisiana. The voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, joins us to kick off hour number two, previewing the SEC tournament. And then we'll go to the moon at 530 with our guy, Apollo Dez, right here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Don't go anywhere. We're right back after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Riding coasters, live music, fried fair food. That means the Cajun Heartland State Fair is back. And the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, is giving away family packs of ride tickets. Text CHSF to 337-283-8100 for a chance to win a family pack of tickets. That's 80 tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 25th to June 4th. Brought to you by The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 420. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We talked about LSU preparing for the SEC tournament in Hoover yesterday after the announcement of Cruz and Skeens winning the SEC yearly awards. Jay Johnson, Dylan Cruz, and Paul Skeens met with the media via Zoom from their hotel in Hoover uh, to, to discuss the honors and prepare for the SEC tournament. Jay Johnson was asked, you know, what was the mental aspect or, or what did it do to the mental aspect to win that last series of the season against Georgia? I mean, mentally, we're trying to be solid every game that we play and uh, we play to win. Uh, this is a, a group of winners. And so they know how to do that. They've done that all year. Um, you know, I think uh, it's a good accomplishment to go 7-2-1 and one in SEC series. Um, not get swept ever. And, um, you know, they're a confident group. 
And, you know, when you're a confident person and you're a mentally tough person, you don't get distracted by failure the way normal people do. James, do you know how good you have to be to not get swept? Right. I was just thinking that because there's always going to be a slip up at some point. For sure. Like there's always going to be a series two, three, maybe four, depending on how your season goes, where you're going to either lose or you just get straight up swept. And then the and then the big thing is is when you play in a conference that is as good at baseball as the SEC typically is, it, it might not even be a slip up. It might just be, look, man, Vanderbilt had a better weekend than you did. Right. Like, so so the fact that you went through ten SEC series and you didn't get swept once, that's impressive. Yeah, and you'd started the first seven, six, oh, and one. Yeah. So, so I mean you you were hot to start off and then you kind of teetered off a little bit, but then you came back within the final weekend series and you got back on track. Now when you look at LSU and you look at the season that they've had and the resume that they've put together, it doesn't take a genius to know that they don't need an SEC championship to to set them up. They're set. They're hosting a regional. Um they're probably going to be a, one of the top eight national seats if, if we're being completely realistic with ourselves. So, uh, on, honestly, they could lose tomorrow morning, and it really wouldn't matter. It wouldn't. Now, they want to win an SEC championship, as you should, but it's not the end goal for, for, for this team. So, Jay Johnson was asked... How does your approach change with this tournament, knowing that this doesn't mark the end of your season? You know, it's a unique uh, situation. You know, this team's done such a good job with the regular season schedule. Like, you know, we've played our way to where we want to be and and playing postseason baseball at home. And so uh, that's ultimately, you know, I want these guys to get to Omaha. I want them to experience Omaha. And so the tournament that's going to decide that um, you know, we've done what we need to do, you know, for, in regards to that, you know, with that being said, um, you know, we don't cancel games that we schedule, you know, for any, any reason we've talked about that before. And if you put the, the tiger uniform on, whether it's the purple, the gold or pinstripe or white or gray Jersey, um, there's an expectation that we're competing to win. Like I said, these guys are winners and we, we play to win, um, I'll be the one that'll make the decisions, maybe what's in the best interest of next week. But, you know, Dylan Cruz is going to step in the box and you're going to, you're going to compete, you know, to beat that pitcher's tail, you know, and whoever we put on a mound at whatever time, you know, they're, they're going to try to execute. And um, I mean, we're excited to be here. And I think it's one of the best uh, events in all of amateur baseball. And so there's a little bit of energy that comes along with it. Um, so the players just need to go play and compete and you know, I'll handle those, uh, you know, maybe long-term or uh, next week type decisions as they're relative to this. It's, it's a good position to be in if you're LSU because obviously you know that, that your season's going to continue because you could look at some teams like a Georgia who, who fell to South Carolina today I can't guarantee that they're going to make an NCAA tournament now. Their season may very well be over. Um, so LSU is definitely in a comfortable spot. But the thing that it creates, James, 
when do you throw Paul Skeens? Because if you throw him today or, or tomorrow, that is five days rest, which is okay, but it's not what he's used to. He's used to six. No, but then at that point, you may just have him be on a pitch count. Because like if he had he he gets one less day than he usually does, or two less days than he usually does, of preparing for a matchup and getting rest. At that point, instead of having him go five, six, seven innings, you have him be one less. Like you take him out in the fourth. See, I almost think that you just you just wait until Friday. the second game, or or Thursday, maybe because because you threw him on Thursday last week. So right, maybe so he'd have a full week at that. Throw point. him on Thursday again this week. Um, I, I think LSU's best case scenario would be you come out with Ty Floyd tomorrow on a pitch count, like you just mentioned with Paul Skeens, because he pitched on Friday, so that's four days rest. So he's really not going to be able to throw a lot. Like, at most, I would say 50, 60 pitches. Because so, to me, if you pitch him tomorrow morning and – Let's say you do get all the way to the end. You could you could kind of do that same exactly. thing all over again. Exactly. Where if you make it to the championship in the SEC tournament, you can have them. That's pitch exactly what I was getting to. Again, you pitch him tomorrow on a pitch count, and then give him another three three days rest. Hmm. You could use him as a reliever Saturday or Sunday, and then he would have his normal six days rest. Headed into the regional the following weekend. So if I'm Jay Johnson, that's the move I'm going with. I, I'm I'm sticking Ty Floyd out there to start tomorrow morning, and I'm going to say, hey, if you can give me three great innings, we'll figure it out from there. Somebody will be there to back you up. Who knows? Maybe the offense just explodes for 14 runs tomorrow morning. And it's like, who cares if you give up nine? Right, right. At that point, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but speaking of Paul Skeens, you know, how is he preparing for the SEC tournament? His first over in Hoover. Yeah, obviously it has to be super dynamic. Um, has to be some adjustability there. As uh, you know, as I'm not totally sure when I'm pitching uh, and and who I'm pitching against. So I think there will be a little bit more uh, energy that I put into scouting some of these teams. Um, but I think the the teams that I would pitch against, I've I've pitched against them before, so I know I know their lineups pretty well, um, at least better than a team that I haven't pitched against yet. So um, it'll, it, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have to game plan for myself. I think um, I'd be pretty dynamic with that, but um, just knowing uh, who we're gonna, or knowing that we don't know exactly who we're gonna play is, is kind of tough. But um, I think that's that's part of what makes it fun too. And to piggyback off of that, you know, he doesn't know when he's going to pitch. He doesn't know who he's going to pitch against. Jay Johnson was asked from a head coaching standpoint, is it difficult to plan to create a game plan when you don't know who you're playing? Yeah, playoff playoff baseball. You know, we, we make the best, uh, the best assessment we can based on who they pitch on Tuesday. And, um, you know, we do have a benefit that we have um, played both South Carolina and Georgia. Obviously, just played Georgia. Pretty good idea what they'll do. Um, you know, they're starting Jaden Woods tomorrow, um, who's coming off an injury. So, 
I'm sure we'll see one of the guys that we saw uh, last weekend. And, you know, South Carolina, I haven't seen who they've decided to start yet. Um, but we'll go to work on that after the game on uh, Tuesday when we know who we're playing. James, how far does LSU run in, in Hoover? I think they get up to at least Friday's game. And, and, and I'm almost wondering, this would completely change up the lineup when it comes to pitching. But what if, because like you can go, you can get a fast start. And like you said, if you get three great innings and say you score like five runs in those three innings with Paul Skeens, but then you re- you don't really put up much after that, you kind of lose your momentum. Yep. So I'm, I, I almost wonder how crazy is it to say, what if you just had Paul Skeens just be a reliever in almost every game? Instead of having him start four to five innings. What if you have him pitch like an inning, inning and a half? Like have him pitch multiple innings like just about every game. And and like to make sure like, hey, let's seal it. We can probably put up a lead early. And if we have skeins out there, we make sure uh, well, that we don't give up a lead. It's very unconventional. It is very unconventional. That's why I'm like, how crazy is it but to it say is, that? But it is intriguing. That that would be interesting to see how that would play out, uh, but that is incredibly unconventional. Hey, ace pitcher, I'm gonna have you be a reliever for right. a week. <laughs> I know it. It, it like, completely throws off your whole approach. Whoa! But hey, I mean, if it works, it works. So we'll we'll see what LSU does. Once again, 9:30 tomorrow morning against South Carolina. Pre-game is at nine, and you can catch it right here on the game 431 we'll take a time out here when we return justin mcleod of extra inning softball will join us talk about the raging cajuns doing the unthinkable over the weekend and what is next for them over in the pacific northwest right here on the game this is crunch time live from the evco development studios in upper lafayette on the game 1037 lafayette 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station Welcome back, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, almost 436 here on your Tuesday. Let's talk some college softball with our guy Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball. Justin, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing good. Doing good. So let's look at this Baton Rouge Regional first because, God, it's still mind-boggling what took place over the weekend. I mean... Both Louisiana and LSU jump out to big starts. Then you have the the first game on Saturday where the Cajuns get shut out for the first time this season. Yep. And then it sets up a you got to win two on Sunday, and and the Cajuns did it in dramatic fashion. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think we saw so many things in that regional um, that, that, that a lot of things that. I think when the regional pairing came out and the Cajuns and the Tigers were matched up yet again, I think there were a lot of things that a lot of people thought might happen. And it was just going to be one of those, well, you know, this, this, this team is this. And so this might happen. There was a lot of that. I think we saw a lot of that come to fruition. Um, and, you know, we saw some really hard fought battles. We saw, you know, both, both teams really. It was one of those regionals that you hate somebody has to lose. Um, just just based on how both teams performed and what they did, and I'm not gonna lie, that regional final was 
I, I, it's been a minute since I've seen a game like that, to be honest with you. It was it was something to behold even for me, and I watch a lot of softball. Yeah, it was it was insane. The the environment in Baton Rouge was just in, incredible. Um, for my first NCAA event to cover in person, it, it, it was definitely a good one. Uh, but, man, talk, talk about Jordan Campbell for Louisiana. I mean – a player that had to battle major injuries and a major surgery in the offseason, really, you know, up and down at points this season, and then just exploded this weekend. I mean, eight RBIs on Sunday alone. Well, you know, at a certain point a couple of years ago when the Cages had all these transfers coming in, that was what people thought was going to be their identity in the softball world. You had. A Campbell, for instance, who kind of came in. She wasn't necessarily the biggest name via transfer. She comes in, and she's just kind of steady Eddie. And she, you know what you can rely on her for, and she's always dependable. She's very steady Eddie. And I think that's the exact person you want up in that situation. Um, when, when your team needs you, when you need somebody to be able to depend on, I think Jordan Campbell's the kid or the player that you want up there. And she delivered. Um, I think that just kind of shows you what you know sometimes it's not the biggest name sometimes it's not necessarily the first name you think of but when somebody puts in the work and like you say you come off that injury and you got to get back to full health but also to full strength and you got to make sure everything's kosher she puts she put in the work to do it and and it paid off for her Um, I think that's kind of been her since she got to UL that's kind of been her jam it's kind of been her thing is just put in the work get the job done and the job she got done this weekend just looked a little different than anything she's done before and then to piggyback off of that, talk about the job that the underclassmen for this team have done. I mean, Lauren Allred was key this weekend. Uh, obviously, Maya Davis in center field. She makes plays all the time. Stormy Kotzelnik delivered. Alexa Langliers. Talk, talk about that group and, and how they've really been able to deliver for Jerry Glasgow and the Cajuns. Well, and again, momentarily referring to when the Cajuns were kind of transfer you for a couple of years, Jerry Glasgow said at that point that that he didn't want that to be the Cajuns' identity. He didn't want that to be what the program was built on, that it was just, you know, get the talent, the best talent they could in, but that he had recruiting classes and he had young kids coming up that were going to get there and become Cajuns and were going to be a good nucleus. And now we're seeing the results of that nucleus. You talk about the Langleyers. You talk about Maya Davis. And remember, Maya Davis, I mean, the Cajuns don't win that game against LSU in the regular season without Maya Davis in the outfield. Um, and I think in Lauren Allred, you mentioned, I think she's one of the breakout stars of the year. I think that nucleus, Jerry Glasgow and his staff, knew what they were doing, knew what they were building for. It's been a few years coming, but I think that nucleus is now at its best and highest point, and I think this weekend just just showed this is what they were preparing for, and this is what they're capable of. I think that nucleus, honestly, those young players, the underclassmen, they're the ones that they, they could make the Cajuns not just a one-time super regional. This is not a one-time deal. That nucleus being there means you know this could be this could be a few the start of a few year streak at this point. Now looking at LSU, obviously not the way that they they wanted their season to end. But still a successful season for, for Beth Tarina and company. What, what does the future look like for, for LSU? I mean, I think it's easy to overreact to an early postseason exit. Um, I think that's a very talented LSU team. It, t- to be honest, it kind of peeves me that UL and LSU were, faced, were put against each other to face off in that regional because both are really solid teams. Um, in terms of the future for LSU, 
you know, you, you lose a couple of pieces. You lose Georgia Clark, for instance. You lose Ali Kilponen. But you, again, LSU's nucleus is, is an older group now. They have a huge senior class next year. They've got some young players who are very good, and then they have that senior class. I think next year is a big year for them in terms of, I mean, because you think about it, last year, Taylor Pleasance and Briggs and Coffee, and you think about the players who will age out after that and graduate. Um, I think next year is important for them, but I do think they've got some serious potential next year. Um, I think you saw what their results were this season. You saw how they matched up against, for instance, Oklahoma in the midweek at home, and it was a very tight game. So I think the potential is there for LSU. I think the talent is there. Um, so I, I think, especially in the immediate future, I think they're, they're – ceiling is still pretty high based on what they have coming back on their roster now justin the washington regional which is the one that was paired up with the baton rouge regional for two and a half days it certainly looked like it could be a lsu or louisiana versus mcneese super regional and it only took one inning to 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 throw that out the window um you know, talk about that last McNeese Washington game and where you think things went wrong for McNeese. Well, I mean, to take a six nothing lead into the seventh inning against a team like Washington, especially with the stakes and on that stage, is not an easy thing to do. So, first and foremost, for McNeese to put themselves in that position to be that close to a regional win, to a super regional berth, is something worthy of, of applause. Like that's something that that's an achievement for McNeese. Um, I, I think, though, in, in that seventh inning, I think things just started to unravel. I think you saw some of the veteran, um, the veteran players, the players who maybe weren't ready for their careers to end, you know, just, just set their jaws, so to speak. And then I think, too, the, the one thing with McNeese that surprised me was not, not even that you didn't have a pitching change once Washington started to rally. I was surprised there wasn't a visit to the circle. I was surprised there wasn't a, hey, let's go to the infield, let's everybody settle down. Yeah, you know, I was surprised that that didn't that that didn't happen. I mean, there may be a reason that I don't know that it did, but that did kind of surprise me. Um, and then, you know, once Washington came started that rally and came storming back, so to speak, um, I think I think Washington, being a Pac-12 team, being battle tested, having players who've played in the World Series a couple of times, um, going through a Pac-12 schedule in the regular season, I think that just showed through at that moment. Not that McNeese isn't a veteran team, isn't a team with talent or anything like that, but I think. When you play that Pac-12 schedule, when you play UCLA and Oregon and Arizona every weekend, one of those teams, um, I think there's just some extra things that come from it. I think that kind of showed through for Washington in that last inning. And unfortunately for McNeese, it was just a little too much for them to for them to survive. Justin McLeod of Extra Inning Softball joining us here on Crunch Time. So now looking ahead to the Super this weekend, Louisiana will travel up to the Pacific Northwest to take on the Huskies uh, Friday night beginning at 9 p.m here in the central time zone a little too late for me first of all yeah um but but you know i I don't want to say that this feels like a winnable regional for louisiana but justin it feels like a winnable regional for louisiana no i I think it is um I, i think it is definitely washington's to lose because washington's a very good team washington's a top eight seed for a reason they've run the gamut in that pac 12 schedule um, so, so to me, Washington is definitely the favored team, but it's not an overwhelming favor. Um, the Cajuns are in a position to go into Seattle and be able to wreak some havoc. Um, you know, sometimes you get into a regional and or a super regional, I should say, and oh well, Team A is going to win and Team B doesn't stand a chance. Well, that's not the case here. 
Um, to me, Washington's the favorite, but I think UL, especially because you just beat LSU, you just had a weekend like you had, and I think you're still you're still going to see UL go in there that on the on the national softball scene, Jen, you know Joe Blow softball fan is going to say, oh, well, Washington should run away with that. Um, maybe they haven't seen the Cajuns play. Maybe they just think, you know, hey, a Sun Belt team versus a Pac-12 team, for whatever reason, there are a lot of soft, random softball folks who are going to say, oh, well, it's Washington's to lose. So I think that gives the Cajuns a little bit of a chip on their shoulder that otherwise I don't think they should have based on what they've done already this year. I think it's a little bit of a more even matchup. But I think that gives the Cajuns a chip on their shoulder, which they're dangerous without it. So you add that to the picture, and it's a little interesting. I think, to me, the biggest thing is going to be how the Cajuns can combat the same thing, honestly, that bit McNeese, how the Cajuns can combat the fact that you're facing a veteran-tested Pac-12 team. You can't let them get hot. You've got to get hot. Um, if the Cajuns can, can stare down and successfully navigate some of those waters, I think they've got a, I think they've got a fair shot at winning the Seattle Super Regional and going to the Women's College World Series. If you're Jerry Glasgow, you've got five pitchers that, that you are now confident in, in Sam Landry, Megan Shoreman, Carly Heath, Kendra Lamb, and now Chloe Riacetto after the performance that she had in Baton Rouge. How do you approach this Super Regional knowing that you have that many arms to go to? I definitely think you have everybody pretty much on call at all times. The one thing with Washington and some of the veteran hitters they have in their lineup, you don't want them to be able to solve any of your pitchers. So, you know, during the season, through the course of the season, we've seen the Cajuns, you know, they make pitching changes at different pitching changes at different times and things like that. I think that's going to be key in the Super Regional. I think, too, at the same time, though, something we've seen is that there are times where I think the Cajuns make kind of interesting timing on their pitching changes, maybe a pre-planned uh, or a predetermined plan and maybe not going completely off the field of the game. I'm curious to see if that continues in the Super Regional and or if maybe you know, it, it doesn't, maybe you do ride the field of the game a little more. I think at this point in the postseason, the field of the game takes on a little bit of a bigger impact than maybe during the regular season or even during the conference season or even during the regional. When you get to the Super Regional, it's, it's who wins two games in a weekend um, with the stakes that high. So I, that's one thing that I'm interested for. I think the pitching is going to be the key for the Cajuns. Um, the pitching is going to be how you settle down Washington. The pitching is going to be where you cool down their hot lineup. You, pitching is going to be everything, I think, for the Cajuns in this. So I would have all hands on deck at all times. Be ready to make a change at any time, not let Washington solve one of your pitchers or get ahead of one of your pitchers. But also I, w- I would lean into the field of the game a little more. And if a pitcher is, is rolling against a lineup like Washington's, honestly, personally, I would ride her until she's not just because, the feel of the game at this point in the season is, is super important, I believe. All right, prediction time, Justin. Does Louisiana advance to Oklahoma City for the first time since 2014? I'm going to say no. I'm going to pick Washington, but I do think it'll go three games. And the one thing about a three-game Super Regional, when you get to game three, all bets are off. I think Louisiana will force a game three. And while, I, yes, I'm picking Washington, when you get to game three, I think the Cajuns, they had the makeup to be able to, to pull it off. I just, I just don't know if they're going to be able to. Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball joining us here on Crunch Time. Justin, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the Super Regionals this weekend. Wild that UCLA is not involved. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate you, fellas. Always fun. And there he goes, Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball 449 on your Tuesday. We'll take a timeout, wrap up hour number one right after this. 
This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The defending World Series champs are starting to warm up, and you can see them live in person. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our third Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday, June 17th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning. La Meridian Houston downtown and the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're wrapping up hour number one here in on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station as we're broadcasting live from the EPCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EPCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget to leave a comment and give us your thoughts. Today's poll question. It's a doozy. It's a little spicy. Which baseball team has the best chance to win its conference tournament? The Raging Cajuns for the Sun Belt. The McNeese Cowboys for the Southland. The LSU Tigers for the SEC. Or are you a negative but probably realistic Nancy and say that all three of them will lose? Uh, Right now, the Raging Cajuns are leading in the voting. What? With 39%. (laughs) Okay. 28-29% is leaning towards the Tigers. Fair. 18% is saying they're all going to lose. Yeah. And then the Cowboys, they have 14% of the votes. Look, would I love to see the Cajuns do it again? Of course. However, However, I'm realistic. I think all three teams make it to like the quarters, semis kind of range. Yeah, like they all get within range of of winning it. They get get to the weekend, but I don't think any of them are lifting a conference championship trophy. I I wonder about McNeese, though, since it is going to be in Lake Charles. That's such a long road. Like you're literally playing in the play-in game tonight. No, I know. Like you're, you're starting it off. That's such a and yeah, it, it helps that you're at home, but that's such a long road because it's like you're so used to being at home at Joe Miller Ballpark that it being there it just kind of goes with the groove. Because if you had to go somewhere else, if you had to go say like to Corpus Christi and you're still playing them tonight, yeah, that would to me that would throw you off for sure, for sure. Also, LSU is going to be in Alabama and Hoover. And then the Raging Cajuns are in Montgomery. So it's like, of the three, there's only one team that's staying home. For sure. Real quick, though, speaking of LSU, Thatcher Hurd will start tomorrow against South Carolina. Was Jay Johnson maybe listening earlier on in the show and said, you know what? Paul Skeens as a reliever, I like it. Let's do it. (laughs) Right? I was 
Let's do it. Blake Money is starting the next game if LSU moves on. Look, if 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 you're right, and Blake Money starts Thursday afternoon, go buy a lottery ticket. Call. You better tell me the numbers because <laughs> I need your help, brother. All right. Denver swept the Lakers. Oh, yeah. The Lakers are gone. They are. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah. Makes me a happy, happy guy. It's, it's second favorite pastime other than watching the Celtics win, but haven't been able to do that lately. So and they're not going to win tonight either. And it's funny because I just got a report <laughs> from Bleach Report saying don't fade the Celtics in game four. Oh, my God. Okay. 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 We'll see. No team has come back from down 3-0. Why would it start now? And with this team. Because oh. also Jalen Brown. And Marcus Smart this morning had said, "Don't let us get one game. Go make, go make, okay. Go make a big move in free agency and try again next year. If you're Boston, go get, go get a center. There's going to be a roster. Re- no, you don't need a center. Mm, I think you need a center. You need to start Rob more often. Is what you need to do. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two. We're going to kick it off with the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, previewing the SEC tournament from Hoover right here." On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Kicking off hour number two of Crunch Time right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The LSU Tigers preparing for the SEC baseball tournament over in Hoover, Alabama this week. 9.30 tomorrow. Very early first pitch for Jay Johnson's crew. Uh, the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, joins us here on the game hotline to talk about this SEC tournament. Chris, thank you for taking the time. How are you? I'm good, man. Good to speak with you again. So, you know, looking at this this team headed into the SEC tournament, obviously got some big news yesterday with Paul Skeens being named SEC Pitcher of the Year and then Dylan Cruz being the first ever back-to-back recipient of the SEC Player of the Year award. Where's this team's mindset headed into the tournament? Well, I think, you know, the plan was, Matt, you know, you went to Athens last week and, and you win a series. You drop game three, the final game of the regular season. As we all know, it would have given LSU a, a an SEC championship thanks to Vanderbilt beating Arkansas. And LSU just couldn't get it done in game three, uh, only able to muster seven hits. They went 0 for 2 with, or 0 for 10, rather, with runners in scoring position. Um, but, but it was a successful weekend. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Uh, when you finish that way in game three. But then they left Athens and drove straight on Sunday over to Hoover, and now they've been on the ground now for over 24 hours. And I think it was kind of a reset by design. You know, stay on the road, just the team, just the coaches, just the staff, and and, and kind of get into a postseason mode. Um, so I think the mindset right now of this team is the regular season is now behind us. Um, the stuff that we've dreamed about, the things that we plan for, the goals that we set, 
they all start now basically one game at a time, which is not all too different than the way Jay approaches uh, every game. You've heard him talk about it being a 56-game playoff. But he makes sure and doubles down this time of year that this is when we have to make it happen. So I, I think the mindset is good. Um, you know, do I think they want to go over and win every game in Hoover? Sure. Are they going to do anything out of character that would jeopardize what they would need or who they would need next week in a regional, which we all expect will be at the at the box in Baton Rouge? No. I don't think you're going to see them try to pull out all the stops um, you know, in Hoover. Uh, but again, it's a chance to, to play the best competition in the country. I mean, you look at some of the projections right now, the number of SEC hosts, it's SEC baseball and then college baseball is something all by itself. Yeah, you know, you, you talked about this tournament in Hoover, and and of course, you know, your goal is to win a conference championship. That's one of your that's one of your goals every year. However, with the season that LSU has had, like you mentioned, you you can't expect them to pull out all the stops in Hoover because there's much bigger things beyond the SEC tournament for this team. No, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that's what Jay Johnson has said since the day he was hired. Uh, you know, winning an SEC regular season title is tough, and if you're able to do that. Uh, then you've had a good year. Uh, you've had a great year. Um, and LSU, while not getting the SEC regular season championship, has had a great year. Um, but, Jay, everything in that building, 24-7, 365, and whether you're talking in August, whether you're talking in November, whether you're talking in January or May, it's all about getting to Omaha and playing for a national championship. So Coach Johnson's well aware of the history of LSU in the SEC tournament, and there's been some great moments, some memorable moments, and, of course, some SEC tournament titles. Uh, but the, the ultimate goal is not to have a great showing in Hoover. It is to get a regional, host a super, get to Omaha, and, and bring back another national title. So, again, it's a chance to play. It's a chance to maybe get some guys some work uh, that need some confidence, that need some innings, especially from the pitching staff. Uh, but the biggest, the only goal that matters to Jay Johnson and then by osmosis, this team is to get to Omaha and play for a title. You know, Dylan Cruz was named SEC Player of the Year yesterday for the second consecutive year, first player in the history of the league to accomplish that. We've talked for, for months now and, and maybe even since last year that people in this area have thought that Dylan Cruz was the best player in college baseball. Does him being the first SEC player to win back-to-back Player of the Year awards kind of cement that idea that right now he is the best player in the country? Well, I think it just is another example of, yes, why. But for me, there's no doubt the best college baseball player on the planet is Dylan Cruz. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I, it's not as if I say that flippantly, Matt. It's because when you you could give me a category, you talk about a five-tool player, you can pick any of those five categories and say, is there a better power hitter in the country? Sure. There's guys that have 25, 26, 27 home runs. Um, could you tell me there's a, a better RBI guy? Well, yeah, there's, he's got a teammate that leads the country in Tommy White. Is there a better center fielder? Enrique Bradfield Jr. is incredible for Vanderbilt. Uh, is he a best base dealer? On and on and on. The fact of the matter is he's the best all-around player that can do it in all phases of the game at the highest level. And for that reason, it's just another, again, I would say, um, an example of, yes, he is the best player in college baseball and winning the SEC Player of the Year two years in a row, back-to-back, first time ever. Uh, solidifies that for not just me. I think 
anybody who follows the sport. And, and if they don't believe it, then, then they don't know much about the game. If you're Jay Johnson, how do you handle Paul Skeens this week? I mean, does, does he throw Wednesday morning and then, you know, maybe you can bring him back Saturday or, or beyond if you get into the weekend? Or, you know, do you maybe hold him for Thursday and, and then not use him again the rest of the weekend? Well, I think that, you know, going back to what I said earlier, there's nothing Jay Johnson's going to do that will compromise being ready for a regional. Uh, it's just, again, I know it's hard for some LSU fans to take because going to Hoover is great. It's a great experience. And, again, when you win that SEC tournament, that's something to, uh, you know, hold your head high because that's, that's a brutal grind. It's a tough format. And to come out of there and win a title on Sunday is is not easy. However, he wants to keep Paul Skeens pretty close, you know, to what he's been doing all year. So you're not going to – I'd be stunned if you see him Wednesday morning. Uh, I'd be stunned if you see him on Thursday, whether LSU wins the first game or not. Um, I think maybe there's a possibility if you're undefeated. And, you know, I, I just think – I think because Friday's where Jay wants him to be, that if you win the first two games – um, you, you get the buy into the semifinal on Saturday. Is that enough rest? I don't know. Uh, do you pitch him Thursday at 4.30 if you stay in the winner's bracket and give him an extra day rest for next Friday? Maybe that's a possibility um, because I think he does want him to throw. I mean, you don't want to take a week off. You know, the guy's in a groove. He's been in a groove all year, so you want to keep him there. But you're certainly not going to overextend him, and you're certainly not going to pitch him twice uh, when the ultimate game is going to come up a week from this Friday at the box in Baton Rouge. Chatting with the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair here on Crunch Time. Look, you know, when you look at this batting order, we talked about Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, obviously first in the country in RBIs, Trey Morgan, Jordan Thompson, Braden Jobert. I mean, I could go on and on. One through nine, this lineup is dangerous for, for Jay Johnson and LSU. Uh, what kind of advantage does that put them at, not only in the SEC tournament, but – as you play a tournament format from here on out? Well, again, I think it's a, it's complementary baseball. And as you well know, regional and super regional play, you want to stay in the winner's bracket. So if you've got two good starters, starters that give you a chance to win and, and put you in a good spot, uh, that's, a, that's a good problem to have. It's great if you got three. It's fantastic if you have four. But it can be done with two. And right now, I think Paul Skeens, he's the best pitcher in the SEC, uh, as we heard uh, on Monday. And I think Ty Floyd, over the last three, maybe three out of his last five outings, has certainly pitched well enough to give you a victory. Um, So that's number one. Secondly, I think the fact that LSU, to start the season and the early part of SEC play, when they played uh, five teams that were at the time ranked in the top 12, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, um, they were hitting on all cylinders. I mean, one through nine, you're exactly right. There really was no out in that lineup. Now, as a long and grinding baseball season moves along, some guys slip back a little bit. Other guys step up a little bit. Um, You know, the hope is that this quasi-break for a couple of days between the Georgia series and the start of the SEC tournament lets everybody re-energize, refocus, um, and when that lineup is hitting, adding, again, whatever combination you want with the front four and then throw in Travinsky, who's been seeing the ball well, Braden Bear who's swinging the bat good. Josh Pearson had an incredible weekend at the plate against Georgia. 
uh, Jordan Thompson with a couple of home runs. So, again, as Jay said a bunch, he doesn't have nine starters. He's got about 14 or 15. Uh, but when they have it going, one through nine, uh, like we saw early in, the, early in the season and certainly the first five weeks of SEC play, uh, yeah, that's a daunting task for any pitching staff. And, you know, when I look around the country, there's some great teams. Obviously, you can take the top 12 uh, in any college baseball poll you want to look at, and, and there are some solid teams. You know, Wake Forest is really good. We know Arkansas is good. Florida's got a great staff. But when I watch them, especially in the SEC, while Tiger fans are so close to LSU and they've been disappointed at times with the starters or the bullpen, it's not like there's other teams across the country that right. just have six, seven guys that are just mowing people down. Um, so I think sometimes we forget that because we're inside this bubble. But but I think if they can get the offense, everybody kind of get a little rest, get re-energized, and as Jay put it, now move to playoff and, and postseason mode. Um, yeah, it's as, it's as good a lineup. I wouldn't want any other lineup in the country, I'll tell you that. If I'm trying to win two or three baseball games in a weekend, I'll take uh, the, the, the 12 to 14 guys LSU has. Now, to, to kind of piggyback off of that, say you get into a situation this postseason where, like, like we've seen a handful of times before, the pitching's just having an off day and it's, it's just not there. And with how potent this batting order can be, would you feel comfortable enough with this batting order to know that even when the pitching's down, they can win you a game? After the Tennessee series, man, I'll be honest with you, that was when it kind of occurred to me, hoping all along that maybe some guys would step up. And, and, and the season's not done yet. I'm speaking from the bullpen. You know, maybe there are some guys that really take a step up and, and deliver. But after the Tennessee series, it was pretty evident to me, you know, you don't have a waiver wire. Uh, the transfer portal doesn't allow you to go get guys in season. This team's going to have to outscore people. And if they're going to win a national championship outside of something just kind of hard to imagine at this point, because you are who you are. Your pitchers are who they are. Your bullpen is who they are. I think you're going to have to outscore people. And uh, the good news is LSU has the firepower to do that. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it'd be nice to think that that's not the case. But uh, at least for me, I think that's nothing's going to change moving to the postseason. Um, you know, sometimes six runs for LSU with Paul Skeens on the mound is enough. Sometimes 13 runs is enough. Sometimes 15 runs, as we saw uh, in the home uh, SEC finale against Mississippi State. I think they're going to have to outscore people. But, again, uh, they've got the guys who can swing the bat that can do it. Chris, as we wrap up, you know, over the weekend in Baton Rouge, the, the softball regional, uh, what a battle it was between – LSU and UL, you know, give, give me your thoughts on the season that, that Beth Tarina and LSU softball had and then the future of that program. You know, I think Beth really was excited about this year's team because she really had a good core group of leaders and, you know, both baseball and softball and for that matter, football, and basketball, every sport uh, after the pandemic, a lot of, a lot of student athletes, you know, gained an extra year just for that COVID year. So you had a lot of five and six year seniors, People had been in the program a long time. So I felt like, you know, talking to Beth before the season and even midway through the season that she, you know, had those veteran leaders on the team and then, of course, able to recruit uh, some young talent. Um, and I won't say it's a disappointing year because, again, I think you finish in the top 15, uh, at least regular season. Um, and, and, again, but when you host a, a home regional, uh, you know, you, you want to get out of it. And they got the first win in game one and, Typically, when you win game one, 
I think in NCAA softball, at least postseason, 77% of the time a team that wins game one wins the regional. So as it turned out, that was the case. It just wasn't LSU. Chris Blair, the voice of the Tigers, joining us here on Crunch Time. Chris, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy Hoover this week, and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon about a regional of the box. Let's do it, man. Thanks for having me on. And there he goes, the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time, and we'll continue right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app and it is now your one-stop shop for all things Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Download the free mobile app today for your Apple or Android device by searching the game Southwest Louisiana. No matter where you are, you can listen to the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 521. Welcome back. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 0111 Matt Deggs and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns traveled to Montgomery yesterday for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Their first game is at 7.30 tomorrow night against fifth-seeded Texas State, a team that they swept at MLT Moorefield just a couple weeks ago. Now, when meeting with Matt Deggs yesterday before they took off for Montgomery, you know, you hear all the time, It's hard to beat a team twice. It's really hard to beat a team three times. How hard is it going to be to beat a team four times? Well, according to Matt Deggs, the opponent doesn't matter. I don't, and I'm, I know y'all hear me say this a lot, I don't think the team matters. It's it's uh, in a tournament or a regional or any type of tournament. Uh, you got to beat them all. And so... You know, you can't really pick and choose well. Let's play them first. I think it's uh, go in, pitch it, defend it, and keep swinging the bats. He was asked what is his mindset for the week, knowing that his team won this conference tournament just a year ago. Oh, just same as it always is, Megan. Go down there and play hard, have fun, fly around. We're fast, hard, and loose, and see if we can catch fire and keep this thing rolling. Matt, Matt Deggs loves the phrase fast, hard, and loose. He, he uses that one quite often. Like, I hear it so often from him, I wonder if it's tattooed on him. I mean, it's it, 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 it's the right mindset, though, right? It is. Because at this point in the season, you can't really coach anymore. Now, you just got to go do it. So, play loose, have some fun doing it, and the chips are going to fall where they're supposed to for this team. Um so I think that that's a good mentality for this group to have. And one guy that's really going to carry them and who has carried them lately is Carson Fluno, a guy who Mad Deggs found at a JUCO in Wisconsin, didn't really, you know, wasn't spectacular in JUCO, but Deggs saw something in him, brought him to Lafayette, and now he's become one of the two key starters for this team. He's just, he's developing, and uh, like I said, he's a guy that's got very low mileage on him. He's from a JUCO in Wisconsin and uh, just doesn't have a lot of baseball under his belt, but all the 
all the ability is there. And uh, he just he works hard, and, and Tibbs done a great job with him, and he's added another pitch to his arsenal, and that's that's made him even that much more dangerous. The Sun Belt Conference tournament again taking place in Montgomery, Alabama, at Riverwalk Stadium. Look, it's not going to be an easy road, uh, of course. You know, nobody nobody really said that it ever would be, but when you look at this. This Texas State-Louisiana game, if the Cajuns were to win that game Wednesday night, they would advance to play Thursday night against the winner of Coastal Carolina and Georgia Southern or Georgia State, whoever wins that game later on this afternoon. So you're either going to play Coastal Carolina, the top team in the conference, the number nine-seeded team, that you have yet to play this year, or the eight-seeded team, which you have yet to play this year. James, in your opinion, would it be a problem for the Cajuns if somehow, some way, things get crazy in Montgomery and you end up facing one of the Georgia schools in that second round matchup on Thursday night, a team that you haven't played yet this year, does that put the Cajuns at a disadvantage? I don't really see it as a disadvantage. Do you see it as a, more of an advantage? A, a team that you haven't seen yet this year? No, like I, I just don't see it as a disadvantage or an advantage for either team at all because it's like it's going to be your first matchup. I mean, you've got plenty of tape on each other, so it's like. It all just comes down to Matt Degg's fast arm loose. But I, with neither of them playing yet this season, I mean, you've played each other plenty of times in the past, so you kind of have an idea, and you've got the tape. But I, I think it really just comes down to who is really able to step up and make plays in the game itself. Where things could get interesting for Louisiana is if they lose to Texas State Wednesday night. They're not out of it. Sunbelt Conference Tournament is double elimination. But you play at 7.30 Wednesday night. Typical college baseball game takes three hours. You end at 10.30. You're back in the hotel, you would hope, by 11.30. But James, if the Cajuns lose that game, they have to turn around and play at 12.30 on Thursday. That is not a lot of time in between. So... You definitely want to have that 7.30 time slot Thursday night rather than 12.30 on short rest, plus having to climb your way out of the loser's bracket if if you're Louisiana. But again, going to be an interesting tournament if you look at the other side of the bracket. Obviously, Southern Miss, Troy, App State are there. James Madison, Old Dominion as well. James Madison sweeping the Cajuns earlier this year. Uh, Troy had their way with the Cajuns as well here in Lafayette. Lastly, you know, Matt Deggs was asked about the last two series of the season with Coastal and Southern Miss, or the two of the last three series of the regular season, and how the Cajuns were just a play or two away from winning their final three conference series. Matt Deggs said that over the last three or so weeks, his team's played good baseball. 
Well, we've been playing good, Megan. It's uh, that was a heavyweight title fight. And they had a great atmosphere and a lot going on, and uh, I thought our boys responded to the challenge and and it came down to the last couple of innings uh, to win that series and was kind of back and forth the entire time. They've got a good ball club. We've got a good ball club, and uh, we need to make this our time of year and make a good long run. All right, James. Let's go back to the NBA. Denver beats LA last night, one thirteen to one eleven to advance to their first NBA Finals. You got double figures from all your starters if you're Denver. 22 from Aaron Gordon. 15 from Porter. 25 from Murray. 13 from Caldwell Pope. And then a 30-point, 14-rebound, 13-assist, triple-double from Nikola Jokic. You only played two guys off the bench, Jeff Green and Bruce Brown, which, can I just say... I didn't realize Jeff Green was still in the league. First off, uh, props to that guy for just finding a way to stick around. Because, uh, again, I, I swore he, he had retired and and just gone home. Uh, but no, you know, 36 years old, still hanging around. Um, he's, he's been a contributor at points this season for Denver, averaging eight points per game on the season. I just think, James, that when it came down to it, Denver was already up 3-0. They had nothing to lose last night. A loss didn't hurt them because their mentality was, oh, okay, so now we're up 3-1 going back home? Okay, cool. Whatever. So, you know, we, we, we bring back the Matt Deggs fast, hard, and loose. It's exactly how Denver played last night, and it worked for him. Yeah, I mean, whether they lost or won, you re- you don't really think it would have mattered much, but at the same time, you would have wanted to just get the series over with as fast as possible. For sure. Because each one of those games, they were all tight. None of them were blowouts. So it's like, if the Lakers get last night's win, and then even potentially get somehow one on the road. It's like, well, they go back to L.A. and they start to have the momentum a little bit. So it, it's a good thing that Denver kind of got it over with and just kind of put them down before you gave them any sort of life. It's kind of like the same thing with the Heat tonight. Like, if you're Miami and you're Jimmy Butler, it's like you've been trolling the Celtics. You can't give them any sort of chance of, hey, there might be a sliver of a sort of a chance at us coming back. You you just got to end it. I'll tell you where things went wrong for L.A. last night. Tristan Thompson only played 10 minutes. That cat's got to be playing 30. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> Settle down. Look, <laughs> you, you got to give credit to the Lakers. Obviously, you know, Coming into the playoffs as the seven seed, nobody expected them to do what they did. Uh, so you've got to give them credit. LeBron was incredible last night. Played all 48 minutes. Shot 60% from the field. 40 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. Anthony Davis contributed 21 and 14. You got 17 from, from Austin Reeves. But I think you were just overmatched with Denver uh, I think Denver was just too much for you to handle. And now you go into an offseason 
where apparently LeBron James is contemplating retirement? I don't know that I buy it. No, don't, I don't buy that. But the fact that it got brought up is something to note. Because here's the thing. LeBron knew exactly what he was doing when he signed his two-year $97 million extension with L.A. He's got one more year on his contract, basically. And then the year after that, 24-25, is a player option. So, LeBron's going to play one more year for the Lakers. He's going to decline his player option. And then wherever Bronny gets drafted, correct, that's where he goes. And that will be his final year in the NBA. Now, what was interesting about last night's game is it was pretty close. In fact, the Lakers were leading at halftime. They were. They were and shooting they were shooting 7 of 10 from behind the arc in the first half. But the real difference maker in the second half was they shot 1 for 10. And then they LeBron had the ball in the final seconds, had the chance to tie the game, but when I tell you, first of all, props to Aaron Gordon for just locking down LeBron in that final 10 seconds. But then how about Jamal Murray sliding over on help side defense and just grabbing the ball from LeBron? It was incredible. It was great defense by Jamal Murray, great defense by Aaron Gordon. And look, I mean, the better team won. So now Denver will hang out for a bit, await the winner of Miami and Boston. Maybe Boston can extend the series and give Denver even more rest. Uh well, I mean, <laughs> either way, they're going to get a very extended break. They're going to get over a week. Correct. So correct. Um, J- Jamal Murray might might take his family on a on a quick little vacation before the NBA Finals. Who who the heck knows? That they're gonna they're gonna have a lot of time, man. You're looking at at least a week, maybe even ten days. Yes, yeah, so, uh, I would probably have the first like four days be four or five days be rest, just completely off. And completely off, reset the body, like let it heal. And then you come back those last few days before you start up the series, get back into it. It's not a bad problem to have. No, it's not. (laughs) 534, we'll take a timeout here. When we return, we're going to the moon. Talking all things Houston Astros right here on the game. Fly me to the moon. Guys and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU joining us here for To the Moon. Dez, what's going on, my man? How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Look, when anytime you win a game by 10 runs, you got to be feeling good the next day. Two home runs by Jordan Alvarez. Uh, walk me through last night the twelve to two win for the Astros eighth straight. Do you hear there? Hey Des, can you hear me? I got you now. I got you now. Sorry there we about go. that. Yeah, so just walk me through the the twelve to two win last night. The Astros getting their eighth straight win. Yeah, it was great. Uh, obviously, when the Astros are up by home runs, it's always a a good thing. Um, Jordan Alvarez did his thing. Dubon got the start. Did his thing. And uh, looks like the offense is coming alive. I guess the Jose Tuve guy in the in the locker room and in the, in the dugout has been a great addition. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's always big when you get a leader like Altuve back in in the fold. Um, yeah, obviously, it's going to take him a little while to contribute on the stat sheet. Uh, two twenty two so far, one RBI to start the year, only two base hits and nine appearances. But you know, again, like you just mentioned. Maybe right now it's more important just from a veteran leadership standpoint that he's back in the locker room than really contributing. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, now that he's in the lineup, you know, you have to uh, you have to respect everything he's capable of doing. It could turn a game, you know, upside down for a lack of better words. And uh, for him to be in the lineup and insert and obviously, look, Mauricio Dubon's been great for the Houston Astros um, and he continues to be very well when he plays, but nothing replaces the face of a franchise like Jose Altuve. So, uh, to see him in that lineup and see him back with the guys, I mean, it's been a while to see that smile of his and him cheesy into that 12-2 win where the offense erupts and he's not even in the lineup. That's, that's got to be a great sign. Let's talk about Jordan Alvarez for a second. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't even care who the hell Josh Fields is anymore. Um, look, when when you're 47 games into the season and you're – slugger is one RBI shy of an RBI a game things things are going well for you yeah um is it is it too crazy to say he's in the Barry Bonds realm right now uh I, I don't think so I just I just I don't know like it we we see these stats and, and we're in it just like every single day when you zoom out and just see Yoron Alvarez' career up to this point as a whole, it's insane. I mean, this is it's this prime Trout, it's Mickey Mantle, it's it's young Barry Bonds. Like, I I just don't. I'm lost for words because he's so good at what he does and he makes it look so easy. And I think that's why Major League Baseball doesn't kind of champion him because it's just effortless. And he should be the face of MLB the show. He should be the face of every commercial, and he's not. And you know what? I think it's a good thing for the Houston Astros. It allows them to play with the chip on their shoulder because this guy's a superstar. Oh, I want this to, to sink in. He is on pace for 180 RBIs on the season. Oh, my gosh. That's and, insane. And, I mean, and 50 I think home the runs. record is 136 for Lance Berkman. Yeah, he, he, is, he is at 46 through 47 games. So, so that would put him uh, around the, the 165 to 180 mark. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, and to be able to not also be the star in the lineup, there's an Alex Bregman, there's a Kyle Tucker, there's a Jose Altuve, there's a Jeremy Pena. There's all these different guys in the lineup that just make it, I think, even sweeter. Um, that's that's truly outstanding to hear. 180-something would be insane. Looking at the pitching rotation, uh, are, are we kind of starting to say no Verlander, no problem? Yeah, I think so. I put in a blog today on our site that the afterthought of Justin Verlander and Garrett, prime Garrett Cole, actually, um, it's just kind of a, a footnote in the history of the dynasty now because of Framber Valdez and, and Christian Javier just emerging. Um, it's kind of insane. I think uh, last night, Javi reached the 5-1 record of the area around 3, then flipped below 1 at K9 at 9-8. Like, uh, um, I, I just have one thing to say about Framber Valdez. I should never not hit in a Framber Blue game. I don't care. Uh, if it's an all-star game, he should just throw in that. He's going to throw it up. 
Hey, Des, we're uh, we're having some connection issues, so if you can uh, you can hang up and just call right back, um, we can we, we can continue the, uh, the the conversation. Look, you know we're we're talking about the Houston Astros, and you know looking at the the pitching rotation for the Strohs. I mean, Framber Valdez, sixty six innings pitched. He's only given up 18 runs on the season, six homers. Uh, he has 72 strikeouts already. Uh, Christian Javier right behind him at 64. Hunter Brown has 56 in his rookie campaign. Uh, obviously, you've dealt with some injuries with guys like Jose Arquiti and Luis Garcia, uh, but J.P. France has stepped up admirably for the Astros thus far. He did have his one bad performance the, the last game that he played, but his first two we're, we're great. Uh, you know, 1-0 on the year. He's pitched 15 innings. He has 10 strikeouts so far. Um, and, and then, obviously, the back end of the bullpen with guys like Hector Neris, Phil Maton, Brian Abreu, Ryan Presley, uh, Seth Martinez. You know, that that group has been strong as well. Um, so, look, when you look at this pitching rotation and this pitching staff, like Des just mentioned, you're not really missing – your Justin Verlanders and your Garrett Coles, as good of pitchers as they are, it's kind of you've replaced what you had, right? You know, everybody compares Hunter Brown to Justin Verlander, and if that's the case, I mean, you're you're rolling with a 23 year old version of Justin Verlander right now in Hunter Brown. Uh, but Des, we got Des back. Um, Des, let's try it again, my man. Hey, I'm sorry about that. We just had storms roll through Houston. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Framber Valdez and Christian Javier being a one-two that leaves Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole in the footnotes of the dynasty history is kind of insane to say now. But, I mean, these guys are these guys are the real deal. Talk about J.P. France. You know, he, he's going to be on the mound tonight for for the Astros against Milwaukee only 15 innings thus far he's given up 15 hits has 10 strikeouts he did have that one outing that that wasn't great but his his first two as a member of the Astros were just absolutely stellar yeah it seemed like he was tipping his pitches his last start I mean those Cubs are taking some 0-2 hats uh that uh they knew it was coming and that's just a game within the game he's in a he's a two set and six set uh, but look, at the end of the day, if J.P. France can be in this rotation throughout the season, that means he did his job. I'm not expecting him to pitch in the ALDS or ALCS, uh, but if he eats innings and, and then just stays in this rotation, um, that's a that's a huge, huge, huge thing, especially with Edie down and Lance down and obviously Luis being out for the year with uh, Tommy John. Um, actually, like him being a New Orleans guy and a Tulane guy before going to Mississippi State, did you guys even know about him before uh, you know him coming up? I did, um, but I, I I didn't think that he would ever reach the the heights that he's reached. Um, I I, I kind of looked at him as a career minor leaguer. Yeah, and I think that's what makes the Astros system so great. Uh, and it's it seems like there's always a hit piece against the Houston Astros prospects in, the, in their farm system, but they keep turning out guys that are just producing in the major league for sure. Uh, whether it's Corey Jolts, whether it's um, JP France, whoever it is, Brandon Belak, all of a sudden has developed a changeup and he looked great. Uh, as long as JP France can keep eating innings, I'm a happy guy. One last question for you, Des. You know, 47 games in, 
You're, you're 28 and 19, second in the division. Uh, we talked about Jordan with his 12 home runs and 46 RBIs. Where would you say this team needs the most work or the most improvement right now with about a quarter of the year played? Yeah, up to last night, I would say sustained power. I think they had five home runs over six games or last night when they had five in one game. Um, I'd just like to see that OPS climb back up as a team uh, and see that kind of escalate. And I think that I think that's not Jordan carrying the offense. I think that's Alex Bregman uh, getting more comfortable as he heats up through the season. We know he's a notoriously slow starter. Kyle Tucker to get his OPS back up. Jose Abreu to um, not melt in front of our eyes. It seems like I don't know what's going on there, but it's not great. Um, and then obviously Jose Altuve um, being back and getting a full, you know, half three quarters of a season with him. Apollo Des of Apollo HOU joining us here for To the Moon. Des, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Sorry about that disconnection, bro. Oh man, not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, Apollo Des of Apollo HOU joining us here for To the Moon Tuesdays. Look, I mean, storms roll through the area. Can't really, can't really do much about some some spotty cell signal. But uh, 549 here on your Tuesday. We'll take a timeout, and when we come back, we'll wrap up today's show right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game in Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hey James, quick update for you from Hoover. That AM Tennessee game finally ended uh a&m went on to win three nothing uh so they played they waited for that rain delay for you know multiple hours just for nothing to change uh so texas a&m does advance they will play tomorrow against arkansas tennessee's conference season is over Uh, they will await the regional now they likely won't host but they're still going to make one uh, getting ready to get underway, Alabama and Kentucky. And the 30 minutes after the end of that one will be Missouri and Auburn. So it looks like it might be a late night in, in Hoover. Uh, but tomorrow, the two games that are set thus far, South Carolina and LSU, 9 a.m. Pre-game, 9.30 first pitch right here on the game. And then A&M and Arkansas 30 minutes after the conclusion of that one. But going back to the Houston Astros, they've got a game tonight against the Milwaukee Brewers. 6-10 pregame, 6-40 first pitch. JP France going to go for the Astros. He's 1-0 on the year with a 4.11 ERA in 15 innings. Colin Rea will oppose him. 0-3 on the season with a 5.52 ERA in 31 innings pitch. He's given up 27 hits, 6 home runs. He has struck out 25. Your lining your lineup for the Astros. Altuve will bat first and play second base. Bregman 
will bat second and play third. Alvarez third, and he'll play left field. Kyle Tucker batting cleanup in right field. Jose Abreu will bat fifth and play first base. Jeremy Pena in the sixth hole at shortstop. Jainier Diaz behind the plate. He'll bat seventh. Chaz McCormick will bat eighth in center field. And then Corey Jolks will bat ninth and play designated hitter. The lineup for the Brewers, Yellick, Winker, Adames, Telez, Anderson, Miller, Tarang, Caratini, and Weimer for the Brewers. Once again, 6-10 is the beginning of Astro launch. First pitch set for 640. Final thoughts, James. Do the Celtics extend the series tonight? No. Oh. Oh, he has no hope in the greenies. Even if even let's say they do win this one tonight, do I think that they'll they go back home? Could win Game Five back at home? No. Then it's a it's a whole new series at that point. No. It's a whole new series at that point. Nope, it's not. This guy. (laughs) It's. It's just. I'm and I'm negative. It's all ogre. And I'm negative. Want to thank our guest today, Justin McLeod, talking softball. Chris Blair talking LSU baseball, getting set for the SEC tournament tomorrow, and of course Apollo Des for going to the moon. Come back tomorrow, Cajuns Corner with Jay Walker, a conversation with the play-by-play voice of the Washington Huskies as they prepare to host the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and of course Hootat Wednesday talking OTAs with our guy Brendan Ertle. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and we're back tomorrow, four to six, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Astro launch coming up in about 10 minutes.